to Life is for the Living. I'm your host, Rebecca Richman. In last week's episode, we learned about the trauma that came from moving to a new country, as well as the loss of identity that comes from that transition. Now we turn to our guest's experiences of being an immigrant in America. Both Debbie and Crusada talked about the racism they experienced, although for Debbie, growing up in San Francisco, explicit racism was less of a problem than the lack of access to basic necessities in the Chinese community. I know it's hard for my folks because when I came in uh, 60, um, this, like, I don't think there's any Chinese bank, you know, like helping the Chinese. They have to have friends to help them. It's not like now. Everybody mm-hmm. speaks Chinese and English. So it, it was hard. And then they limited it for them to get work. Like my mom, she was a teacher in China. Mm-hmm. She had to do sewing. You know, um, go yeah. to the you know, so factory because you know she can't speak the English or whatever. You know, yeah, it, I think you know it. It was hard. I didn't realize that it was hard. I think for the immigrants at that time. Well, immigrants didn't have access to many things that we take for granted. They did have strong community resources to help them navigate these challenges. And they so they have to depend on their f- friends and also the association. That's why in Chinatown they have all this uh, t- uh, I mean uh, association under their last name or under their village. So the people know both English and could could help out you know help them out like buy houses, get a job, or opening the bank you know right. checking yeah. or something like that. And they didn't see many hate crimes in Asia in the 1960s either. Although Debbie has a theory as to why. Just like when I came, there's people uh, taking a marijuana, but they just like happy. The yeah. flower child, they just happy. They don't, it's different. They don't bother people. Right. They just all smoking pot. Which does make an intriguing argument for legalizing marijuana. What she has seen is an increase in hate crimes against Asians in more recent times due to the false claims that the coronavirus is an Asian disease. But this also might be conflated with a new willingness among Asians to speak up about the discrimination and hate that they face. Well, uh, uh, since now it, it is, now after those, uh, the pandemic, all these hate, Asian hate crimes, they are doomed now. Before they not so much. Yeah. And now they are really working on it. Yeah, before, I mean, before we help, like I said, but yeah. now they're actually speaking up. Before, you know, Asian usually would say, Asian, we don't talk that much. We're right. not as verbal. We don't complain. But, and then they say, oh, okay. But now there's protest, mm-hmm. you know, and then they're talking, which is, is good. But I don't see many changes. But yes, I, yeah, now it's doing more compared to when I, yeah, the other one. Now it's more speaking up. Want the world to know the other, but when I came, they're just helping each other within the community, within San Francisco, whatever. Yeah, now we're talking about with the young people. Now we want to change the world. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Crusada, a previously undocumented immigrant from El Salvador, reported experiencing the most racism and discrimination of the group. As an immigrant, I have suffered a lot. 
a lot of discrimination. Not because I'm a, not only I'm a I'm an immigrant, but I'm a a, um, a woman of almost four point nine. I'm not so tall, um, you know. But I think um, there's a lot of discrimination when it comes in our jobs. You know, I I'm a manager for Circle K, and I've been there eleven years, and um, and I know by fact that the, the, the American citizen that were born here, they get paid more than what I do. Even, you know, and as, as a man and a woman, they're different, you know? And I think that's not right. You know, I think it should be equal, right? Yeah. Because I do harder work than them because they're only around the building with their coffee, <laughs> you know. But, you know, and uh, uh, dealing with the customers, you know, I do get a lot of rational comments and it hurts. It hurts because I understand that even though I'm a, I'm a citizen now, I still never, never be equal to an American born person. They will never look me the same. I get I get so many bad names called like um, go back to your country. It hurts when they say that, you know, because since I'm 17 years old, I've been working in this country. I have never, ever lived out of a government. I always pay my dues. So I, I don't understand why people go around and hurt people like that. Because it hurts. As an immigrant, it hurts. When I get called a beaner or go back to your country or, or um, why don't you speak? I don't understand you. Can, you. can you explain it? You know, like when I straddle on my English or something, they make fun of my accent. You know, and they got to understand it's hard. They say, Oh, they come in and they take our jobs. Well, you know, let me tell you what my job is. I got to go and, and, and clean bathrooms. I got to go and take out the trash where I got to go and pick up somebody poopsie they poop, you know, all that. And a lot of people is not willing to do that, you know. Despite all the struggles and discrimination and occasionally open hate that our guests face, I was curious to know why they stayed in America and Canada. And really, it came down to four things. Safety, freedom, opportunity, and cul-de-sacs. It's just only one word. And I always say, safety. This country has given me the peace that my country could not give me. That's all I can say on that. You can, you have the freedom of a speech over there. You say something, they don't like you, boom, they shot you. They shoot you with no reason. If the neighborhood didn't like you, they can go and shoot you. That's it. I feel free. I feel safe. I remember somebody saying, you could grab a chair, put it in the middle of the street, and you could say bad things about the president of the country and no one will punish you. So that was 
meaning like there's that sense of freedom of speech where you could you could say things against the government and you will not be reprimanded for it. Oh, the opportunities. Yeah. As you know, as long as you're willing to work, you know, and, and you, you have a lot of freedom you could do. And uh, so, yeah, it's opportunities. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard that a lot. Opportunities and the ability to actually say, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, express yourself. So you have to go back. So that's why I would like, uh, you know, like go to those village in the not just the city, right. the village, and look at how they live. Then you will see, oh, God, really, we were lucky. Yeah. You know, we have a p- opportunity to get all this, you know, like that. And, uh, but even in China, sometimes you want to work, but there's no work, right? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to have opportunity. Well, these were all reasons for Makram and Hana to flee Iraq. Hana had her heart set on going to America because of a very specific reason. And we are not going, not to Australia, not to Canada, not. We are coming here. And I will live in a cold, there was a series that was in the, where is that? In, in Wisconsin, I saw that, yeah, in the 80s. And these people, they lived in a cul-de-sac. And I loved it. And I said, I'm going to live in a cul-de-sac. The first house in Redless was cul-de-sac, and we got the second house in a cul-de-sac. I don't know. I love this cul-de-sac, not a main street to go the cars back and forth. No. And this is the second house in a a cul-de-sac. And I'm not going to live anywhere but in America. Lastly, I asked their guests what they wished Americans understood about the immigrant experience. Uh, how hard we worked. Well, not me personally, but my parents. How hard. Um, you know, there were times in my life where people, I would ha- hear people say, non, non-Italians would say, oh, wow, you can afford to live there. Or wow, you can own this car. Or wow, you know. And I'm thinking, you have no idea how hard and how much sacrifice went into getting those things or, or, or getting to that point in life where you were comfortable. You have no idea how hard um, it was. I think Chinese people take their jobs because right. it's we, we're hard workers, we do anything. Uh, whatever, just to take care of the family, we do, um, you know, some people, some, uh, some, uh, some people, they choose what they, you know, they have some choices, but we right. don't, we just do whatever it is come, uh, when we need it. So, um, you think we're taking this job, it's not that we just need to survive. And just like, you know, right now, all the labor, cheap labor in China, you know, because nobody's going to do all these low wages, but China, those people in China, they have to, they do it. So it's not their fault, too. No, they need they need the money. They need to survive. Yeah, but then people say, okay, you know, they're taking uh, jobs, you know. It's, it, it's hard. <laughs> well, I wanted to um, say something, too. I wanted to say that um, the reason why we flee to this country it's for better opportunities, better in in every shape, whether it will be 
school opportunities, economic freedom, you know, most of them sick because of the, the poorness that our country leaves. You know, again, you know, talking about, you can see the, 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 the um, different shape of a style of life over there. It's very sad. When I went back, it's actually what it broke my heart. It's seeing kids, little five years old, already working. Older people, 80 years old, 70 years old, can barely walk and they have their, their, their fruit, trying to sell their fruit. You know, it's really hard. That's what a lot of people, you know, seek for better opportunities. This is the country of dreams. And that's it for this episode of Life is for the Living. Join us next time as we focus on Makram and Hana and their life in Iraq under Saddam Hussein. If you have any suggestions about future guests, topics, or just want to chat in general, you can reach us at, at Life is for the L on Twitter and Instagram or email us at Life is for the Living Podcast at gmail.com. The Life is for the Living Podcast is written by me. Rebecca Richmond, and produced by Marco Berlo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>